One other thing I just want to mention as well, as briefly as I can, is we're going to start the process now of weaning our church off of live stream. And um, we've had a lot of fun with that. We feel like it served the season really well. And it's something that we want to continue to offer to our missionaries. I don't know if you know this, but right now we have missionaries even all over the world who could be uh, live streaming with us and, and a part of this gathering. Um, we'll continue to live stream for people who, um, because of health reasons, are compromised to be in a big gathering. Um, in fact, we need to know who you are. We want to know who you are. It's one of the reasons why um, I'm going to ask if we're going to pull the plug on live stream coming up, um, but please get to us in the next couple of weeks because Church is not just watching something on a computer screen. And we would be betraying the thing that Jesus established and launched in our world if we just continued to allow for this, this, this lesser form. The church is God's people gathered in relationship, loving each other, serving each other, blessing each other. We can't do this apart from being together. Um, so therefore, that's the why behind the what. I hope you guys understand. And let this also be an opportunity for those of you who are live streaming, who need it, for you to contact us and say, I want it. Now we get to know who you are, and now you'll get more from us than just uh, something on a screen. But hopefully we can also uh, be your church and pastor you well. So uh, that's just a little coaching moment as well. Okay. I know, you're always in the locker room. Uh, just even think about already today, like just what we've been able to experience together. And hopefully it continues when we're outside of this gathering that you guys are loving each other and pouring your hearts into each other and pointing each other to Christ. Um, anyway, all right, we've made it to Ruth chapter three. We're in this amazing story. And uh, the first week, chapter one, we, we were introduced to this character called Naomi. And we saw in four short verses how Naomi, her full life, was quickly made empty, um, bankrupt. Uh, but by the end of chapter one, she had this glimmer of hope to her life. And it was in the person of Ruth, who just sticks with her attaches her, her heart to Naomi, just binds herself to Naomi, won't leave Naomi. Then we get to chapter two and we see further how, how Ruth is uh, bringing a little bit more hope into Naomi's life. She goes into the fields, the fields of Boaz, the fields of God, and she comes as a beggar, just uh, begging, and boy, did she ever receive grace upon grace. She comes home that day uh, to Naomi with 30 pounds of the field's finest. And now the kindness of God is starting to break into Naomi's life. And we read that in chapter uh, 2, verse 20. Naomi now is, is starting to bless and praise God for the first time. So this uh, past week, um, in light of last week... Someone sent me this, this text. I, I wish I could take credit for it, uh, but I can't. And it says, to all the girls, 
To all the girls who are in a hurry to have a boyfriend or get married, a piece of biblical advice. Ruth patiently waited for her mate, Boaz. So while you are waiting for your Boaz, don't settle for any of his relatives. Broke as, poe as, lying as, cheating as, dumb as, drunk as, cheap as, good for nothing as, lazy as, and especially his third cousin. Ah, I'm not going to say that one. There is a line. <laughs> I know. We can laugh too, I hope. All right, let's stand for the reading of God's word. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor, wash, Put on perfume and get dressed in your best clothes and then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he is lying and then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. Now, if you're already starting to wonder what's going on here, the fact that Naomi says, and he will tell you what to do, means that Ruth is stepping into something that is already known to that culture. Verse 5, Ruth answers, are you kidding me? (laughs) No, she says, I will do whatever you say. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. And when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, He went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lie down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Boaz replied, the Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Now listen. In the Hebrew Bible, Ruth follows Proverbs. And what's the significance of that? What's the last chapter of Proverbs? We call the Proverbs 31 woman. It starts off a, a woman of noble character who can find, and this is exactly that term that we talked about last week. Uh, Boaz is a Gabor Hael, a mighty man of God, and you also have the female version of that, an Ishat Hael. Who can find that? And then the rest of Proverbs 31 describes that. And then Proverbs ends, and then you have Ruth. This is the only time in the Bible a woman is called an Ishat Hayel, a woman of noble character. And read Proverbs 31 today. That chapter is about Ruth. 
And although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. See, this man has such, has such principles, operates according to principles. Stay here for the night and in the morning if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until the morning. She lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl that you are wearing, hold it out. And when she did so, he poured in, into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. And then he went back to town. And when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? And then she told her everything. This is God's word. You can be seated. So we're seeing a different Naomi here in chapter 3. In chapter 2, she was shut down. Uh, now we see someone who dares to dream again. Uh, she's dreaming about her life. And it's not just because Ruth comes home uh, with 30 pounds of, of groceries, but Ruth or Naomi is beside herself when she finds out that Ruth was in the fields of Boaz because Naomi says, Boaz? You were in the fields of Boaz? Well, well Boaz is, is a cousin. Uh, he's our Goel. And that word Goel is a word that we translate redeemer. And Goel or, or Redeemer is what the whole book of Ruth is about. In fact, you could even make the argument that Goel, Redeemer, is what the whole Bible is about because a Redeemer is someone who reaches into our bankruptcy, our barrenness, our emptiness, and, and buys, buys us back. He restores us. And see, this is why Naomi now has become so hopeful. It's, it's due in part because she knows her book a book that we would call today the Old Testament. And she knows that so much of her book, the Old Testament, and, and all those laws, a lot of those laws have to do with God's instruction to the people about, about how they are to treat the widow, the orphan, and the alien. Because those three groups of people in ancient times, the widow, the orphan or the fatherless or the alien, the refugee, they all have something in common. They are all homeless. And when I say homeless, I don't just mean they don't have a shelter over their head because home in the ancient world is, is your place of belonging. It's called Beit Av. It's called the house of the father. Uh, the, the house of the father or the Beit Av. This is where you matter. This is where you're protected. This is where you're cared for. This is where a person finds their meaning, their purpose, their sense of dignity and worth. Their whole identity comes from the Beit Av, the family to which they belong. And the widow and the orphan and the alien lack this. They don't have it which is why God is constantly giving them instructions on how they are to treat these three groups of people. And when it comes to the widow, one of God's specific instructions is in Deuteronomy 25. And yes, this is in our Bibles. Let me just uh, read that right now. Verse 
It says, this is from Deuteronomy 25, if brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, the widow must not marry outside that family because her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. And the first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. However, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders of the town gate and say, my, my husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. And then the elders of the town shall summon him and talk to him. And if you persist in saying that I do not want to marry her, his brother's widow, shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals, spit in his face and say, this is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. That's found in the fifth book of, of our Bibles, Deuteronomy 25. And see, the, the, the brother, or if there's not a brother, then you go to the cousin, the nearest cousin. Uh, the brother or the cousin who steps forward, forward and becomes a husband to the wi widow is called a redeemer. And it's through marriage that the widow is redeemed and restored to Beidav. She is no longer outside. She is no longer marginalized. In being restored to Beidav this, through this means, she gets her life back, her dignity back, her, her place in this world is restored. She has hope for the future. And this is why Naomi is so hopeful, why, why she dares dream again, She's dreaming of redemption. Of a God who's going to take her broken, bankrupt, empty life and restore it. Now listen, I don't want you to think I'm making more or less of marriage this morning. In fact, I'm not even prescribing that world onto our world. I'm just describing that kind of world. But in that day, marriage through marriage would be the means by which Naomi and Ruth, their life would be redeemed. And so Naomi sees this small window of opportunity. She knows she has to act quickly because harvest season is coming to an end. And what that means, no longer will there, will there be 30 bags or 30 uh, pounds of, of groceries being sent home to them. And they're gonna quickly go back to their barren bankrupt lives. So... I can't really even say this this morning because I'm going to tell you right now, I have the best mother-in-law in the world. The best. But leave it to the mother-in-law, okay? Because that's what's going on here. The mother-in-law, Naomi, comes up with a plan. Did you listen to the plan that she laid out? I mean, if you did, it doesn't look good. It doesn't sound good. I mean, it feels like something right out of a Jerry Springer show. And for all appearances, it, it, it kind of feels like two manipulative women, women trying to take advantage of some sucker guy. A little bit. Now, let's not forget whose plan this is. I mean, this is solely Naomi's plan. And we need to remember that when you think about Ruth because Ruth is not some seductress in this story. She is simply following Naomi's orders. 
But there's another thing that, that, that I'm just curious about, and that is this. It's who's not in, included in Naomi's plan. Naomi. I mean, why isn't Naomi the one who's getting all pretty and, and, and putting perfume on and dressing up and going down to the threshing floor? Because the provision in Deuteronomy 25 is for her. She's the widowed woman of Boaz's extended family. Now, you might be thinking, well, well, Naomi's too old, but I don't think she is because when you look at chapter one, what she says to Ruth that she's too old for is not to get married, but it's to get married, to have kids, to have a son who will be raised up, who will someday be able to marry Ruth. She doesn't have time for that, but she's not old. And then when you also add to this, uh, both Christian and Hebrew scholars, uh, a lot of them think Boaz himself is old. A lot of them say he's at least 60, 60 years old. So Naomi would be much closer in age to Boaz than Ruth. So why is Naomi's plan targeting Ruth? And I think it's this. It's because of everything that Ruth has already been to Naomi. Ruth has already acted as a goel, as a redeemer to Naomi. I mean, when you look at how hopeless uh, Naomi's life is in chapter one, the only thing that gives it a glimmer of hope is the fact that Ruth says, I'm not leaving you. I'm gonna stay by your side. Where you go, I go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God, even if... God deals ever so severely with me. Ruth is willing to sacrifice everything for Naomi. So now in verse one, listen to these words. Naomi says, my daughter, I want to now find a home for you. You gave up everything. You even gave up your home for me. Now it's my turn. I'm going to provide a home for you. And now Naomi's going to give it all up. The hope of a husband and children for Ruth. And see, whenever redemption occurs, both big and small, someone is always sacrificing. Someone is always giving something up, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a broken relationship, a broken anything for redemption to occur, someone needs to give their life up. Now look at what Naomi asks of Ruth. Ruth, wash, perfume yourself, and put on your best. Even to this day, those are the three instructions when a Jewish girl on her wedding day gets married. She's asking Ruth to prepare like it's her wedding day. And then she says to Ruth, Ruth, I want you to go. I want you to go out into the dark of night. I want you to lie down and I want you to uncover. Again, this, this, this doesn't sound good. Um, then when you get to the, the phrase to lie at his feet, I mean, we do have some difficult Hebrew at hand here. Um, in other places of scripture, this Hebrew is a euphemism for another body part. But at a minimum, this thing's sketchy. 
And think about all the serious risks to this plan. First of all, there is the risk of Ruth being flat out rejected. I mean, think about that. She gets all pretty, looking her finest, dressing herself up, only to be rejected. And, and, and not only this, but she's a Moabite, and, and the Moabites at this period in time uh, have a reputation uh, due to the story, places like Numbers 25, um, when, the, when the daughters of Moab came into the Israelite camp, and it says that the Israelite men hoard uh, with the Moabite women. I mean, that's how this world thought about the Moabite women. And then also add to the fact that God even, in Numbers 25, forbids Israel to not associate with Moabites ever. I mean, this plan is so ripe with rejection. And then when you also add to this that this is the period of the judges when every man did what was right in his own eyes and, and the Israelite men are not so pure themselves. I mean, there is real risk here. Not even just the risk of being rejected, but the risk of being violated. So it's fair to ask, what is Naomi thinking? Well, Naomi isn't thinking rejection or rape. She's thinking redemption. And the reason why she can think redemption, why she can be so hopeful that redemption is going to happen is for two reasons. First of all, because of Boaz. And she knows the kind of man that, Gabo, that Boaz is. He's a Gabor Hayal. He's a worthy man. He's a mighty man of God, a man of character, a man with a reputation standing in the community. But the other reason why, why, why she can do this is because she knows her Bible. And she is taking God at his word. God, your word promises that a goel, a redeemer, is to step forward and redeem our empty life. So maybe Naomi's just kind of nudging this thing forward and giving God an opportunity to, to act. But God, I trust you. I even trust you with Ruth. This person I love, who's my only earthly hope. And then put yourself in the, in the shoes of Ruth. I mean, see what this plan requires of her. Not just trust, it's, it, it's almost reckless trust. And so many of us today just... I think can confidently say, I trust God. But do we really? Or do we really just trust ourselves? Do we really just trust our abilities and our capacity? Do we trust our resources? Do we trust the ways in which we have leverage to control and to manipulate or at least think we have a sense of control? But what happens when we lose those resources? When we lose our leverage, what happens when we lose things we love? More importantly, what happens when we lose people we love? So we don't really know if we're trusting God until we lose an ultimate, until we lose our health, we lose a job, we lose somebody that we love so much. 
And see, that's why I, I think sometimes we can come here and, and we can sing and we can pray and we can serve and, and in our minds think that we trust God, but I, I really want to ask my own heart, do I, really, do I really trust him? Because we're not really trusting God until we trust God with the ultimates of life, those, those areas in our life that most matter, the people that most matter. When we trust him for our place in this world, we trust him when, when our health is taken from us or people are taken. And see, this is Ruth. This is where she is. And she trusts God. I mean, her whole life is on the line. Everything is at stake. And she trusts in verse 5, she says to Naomi, Naomi, whatever you ask of me, I will do it. And then I think about Ruth. I think about her doing it. I, I, I think about her with the little resources she has. She's poor. She's a widow. She's an immigrant. Trying to make herself all pretty that night. Trying to find just the right clothes. Putting on the perfume. And making herself to be all that she can be with the little that she has. And she does it. And she goes through with it. And then in verse 7, when you, when you read it, she comes to, to where Boaz is uh, as quietly as she can. This fearful widow just all dialed up and dressed up and perfumed, dressed like a bride. And she puts herself at Boaz's feet and she waits. It could have been hours. In verse eight, Boaz finally is startled. In the middle of the night, he sees this woman at his feet. Like, who are you? In verse 9, Ruth says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread the corner of your garment over me, for you are a redeemer. Now, we might read this and think, you know, Ruth just wants to get under, under the covers and, and cuddle with Boaz, but that is not at all what she is asking. In fact, the word for corner of one's garment, corner uh, in the Hebrew, this is an important word. Um, it means, it, it's the Hebrew word kanaf. In fact, the most literal translation of the word kanaf, which is translate corner here, is wings. Uh, because wings uh, is, is, is protection. Wings is, is provision. This is why this word wings is, is all over the Psalms. The psalmist is constantly saying, hide me, O God, in the shadow of your wings. Hide me, O God. He says, cover me uh, in your wings. It's, it, it's, it's a psalmist saying, God, pr protect me, provide for me. And I would say the way that Ruth is using it in our text, maybe the most vivid example in the entire Bible is in Ezekiel 16, which is a text uh, that describes literally the whole story of God taking Israel to himself. Um, and it begins, it says, on the day that you were born, you were thrown into an open field and you were left to die. Um, this, this, the picture here is infant exposure. 
But God says, but I passed by and I saw you kicking about in your blood and I said to you, live. And I made you grow like a plant in the field and you grew up and you developed and you became one of the most beautiful jewels. And later I passed by when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love. I spread the corner of my garment over you. I covered your nakedness. I gave my solemn oath and I entered into a marriage covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord. And you became mine. That's imagery of God literally covering Israel uh, with the corner of his garment. It's marriage. And I don't know if you remember last week, but uh, in chapter two, uh, remember in response to Boaz's generosity, all Ruth can do is just fall at his feet. And, and when Boaz sees her there, it's like Boaz says, what are you doing at my feet? I should be at your feet because of all that you have sacrificed. And then Boaz says this to her, and you have sought refuge in the wings of God. It's that same word, uh, kanaf, that is translated corner or wings. And Boaz is looking at Ruth and like, look at you. You have sought refuge in the wings of God. And now Boaz, through this, or now Ruth, through this whole gesture and what she's saying is saying to Boaz, Boaz, be God's wings. Spread your wings over me. May God's protection and provision come through you. And I want you to see what Ruth is asking for here. She's pleading for redemption. Pleading. And she wants it to come in the way of Deuteronomy 25 and the way that God redeemed Israel by becoming a husband to Israel. Cover me, Boaz, with your corners. Now here's something that Ruth also knows that most of us don't know. Is that going back to the time of Moses, every Hebrew is instructed to actually wear something on the corners of their clothes. And so Ruth being married to a Hebrew man who's now deceased, at some point in the game, she probably asked him, like, why do you wear these strange things attached to the corner of your garments every single day? And maybe he had numbers 15, 37, 40 memorized, but this is all part of God's instruction to Israel. He says, speak to the Israelites, say to them, throughout the generations, in other words, forever, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. And you will have these tassels to look at so that you will remember the commands of the Lord and that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey my commands and will be consecrated to your God. Again, Israel is in this marriage with God himself. And so as God's bride, God instructs them to wear these tassels. And these tassels are essentially the wedding ring. And every day they are to look at these tassels. Whether they're eating, plowing in the fields, gathering grain, going to the temple, making meals, fighting in the army, socializing, even sleeping, 
Those tassels and the corners of their garments are to remind them that my heart belongs fully to Yahweh. And that all those commands that God gave us that today we call the Old Testament, that Christians call the law to a Hebrew, those are their wedding vows. And one of those wedding vows is that they would redeem the widow. And so what Ruth is doing, when she says, spread the corner of your garment over me, spread your wings, your tassels over me, she's like, you're in marriage with God. And if you're going to be faithful to him, let me shine the spotlight on that wedding ring right now because being faithful to God means you're gonna redeem me. Because you are a go out, a redeemer. So Boaz, spread your wings over me, cover me, hide me, make this foreigner your family. Take this beggar and, and make her your bride. Take this widow and make her your wife. Take me from one who is without protection and provision and privilege in this world. Spread your wings over me. Buy me back. And here she waits. In Boaz's response, I do. <laughs> I will. In fact, he says, my daughter, do not fear. I will make this happen. And I think what those words must have felt like to Ruth in that moment but then I'm also left asking, why does Boaz accept her? She's, she's a Moabite whom he was forbidden to be in association with. But he's not looking at her through that lens. He's seen Ruth as one of his own, someone who has so bound herself to, to, to Naomi and to God's people. And most importantly, Ruth has bound her heart to Yahweh himself. So Ruth, according to Boaz, is not a Moabite that he must reject. She's a daughter whom he must redeem. And then I think about Boaz's stock, his lineage. You know, he's not from the tribe of Benjamin. He's not from the tribe of Simeon or Asher. He's from the tribe of Judah. Remember Judah and Tamar? Same story. Tamar's looking for a kinsman redeemer. Judah's sons failed to do this, so she dressed herself up as a prostitute knowing that Judah is coming along the road, knowing the kind of man Judah is. And of course, she's right. And Judah has sex with her. And she gets pregnant. And that's how the tribe of Judah comes about. Or how about Boaz's mother? His mother is Rahab. And if you know anything about Rahab in the biblical story, she, she's a foreigner. She's a Canaanite. And even more, she lived her young life as a prostitute. You talk about an outsider. 
And I can just imagine the kind of things that, that, that Rahab talked to Boaz about as Boaz was growing up, about the great love of God and his grace. Can you believe it, Boaz? And so Boaz knows firsthand that, that God can be known by anyone. And do you know how awesome that truth is? That's why we call it gospel. That God can be known by prostitutes. God can be known by Moabites. That God can be known by you and I. And unlike Hollywood, what's not at the heart of this story, this is not a story about sex. This is not a story about lust. This is not even a story about romance. This is a story about kindness. In verse 10, look at, look at it. I mean, Boaz is so attracted to this, to this woman's heart of kindness. First, it's her kindness that, that Ruth shows uh, to her mother-in-law, Naomi, leaving everything, then going out, risking her life, gleaning in the fields. Now this kindness, the kindness of, of, of Ruth's offer uh, to Boaz, this undying loyalty to him. And then you have Boaz, and think of all the kindness that he showed in chapter 2, uh, letting this, this Moabite, this widow, this, this outsider come into his fields and glean. And think about all the generosity that he lavished upon her. And now he commits himself to buying her back. That is kindness. In fact, the word for kindness in verse 10 is probably my favorite word in the whole Bible. It's this Hebrew word hesed because there's no English word that can really do justice to this word. So sometimes it's translated great kindness or loving kindness. Sometimes it's unfailing love or abounding love. But I think probably the best definition of hesed in the Bible might be in chapter one of Ruth when Ruth gives up everything and just binds her heart to Naomi and says, I'm not gonna let you go. That's hesed. Hesed is this undying love, a, a love that you and I could never merit. It's love at all costs. And if you want one word to describe God, his heart and his character, it's the word hesed. And the reason I can even, even say this is because in, in Exodus 34, when, when Moses says to God, God, I want to see your face. Show me your glory. God says to Moses, Moses, you can't see my face. It will kill you, but I'll hide you in a cleft of a rock and, and you can see my backside. And sure enough, Moses in a cleft of a rock, God passed by Moses. And this is what God says, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. His heart abounds in Hesed. And then he says, and showing Hesed to a thousand generations. This is God. 
This is why David, when he makes such a mess of his life, adultery, murder, all of it, the only place he can appeal to is God's has said. In Psalm 51, he says, according to your has said, oh God, blot out my transgressions. And then after he experienced the grace of God, he says in Psalm 63, he says, God, your has said, your loving kindness is better than life itself. And this is why God says in Micah 6 verse 8, this is what I require of you, that you do justice and that you love mercy. It's the word has said. And why does God command us to love love? To love this kind of love, this undying love, this unmerited love. It's because it's who God is. And it's because of Hesed that Boaz buys Ruth's life back. And in buying Ruth's life back, Naomi gets her life back. And we'll see that next week. Next week. Now just think about this story. In light of the big story of the Bible. Because as I mentioned last week, it takes all the little stories of the Bible to tell the one story. And the one story is ultimately about one person. And this one person is one greater than Boaz, who is our bridegroom, who is our ultimate redeemer. And literally, this redeemer, this true son, will literally come from Boaz himself. One who will be greater than David, a Goel, a redeemer, someone who will come from a faraway country, who will leave father, who will leave comfort, leave it all behind to come to the wreckage of this world and into the bankruptcy of our lives to buy us back, to restore us, to redeem us. And think about what it cost him. And that's why I'm going to end with this exhortation. First of all, this comes to my own heart, but to all of us, like Ruth, we need to get to him. We need to take hold of his wings. In fact, one of the things that Jews still believe about Messiah when Messiah comes, because they don't believe Messiah has come, but because of Malachi 4, they believe that when Messiah comes, that Messiah will have healing in his wings. That those tassels dripping from uh, his belt are going to have special healing powers. And then when you come to Mark chapter 6, 56, it says, And wherever Jesus went, he went into villages, towns, or countryside. They placed the sick in the marketplaces, and the sick begged him to let them touch even the corner of his cloak. And all who touched his tassels were healed. And every time I think about that verse, then I can't help but think about that woman in the gospel. This woman in Mark chapter 5, she has this serious ailment that makes her socially unclean. She's forbidden to marry. She's expelled from the assembly. She's even seen by many as cursed of God. She is the ultimate outsider in every way. But the text tells us that when she heard about Jesus, a thought came to her mind that if I could just touch Jesus' wings, if I could just... Just take hold of, of his tassels. 
but she was forbidden to go into public. And so she comes up with this plan where she just kind of stealthily and secretly pushes through the crowd to Jesus and she gets it. And the power of God went through her and she was healed. Get to him. Do whatever it takes. Just get to him. Because here's the deal. Just like in Jesus' day, this is true about our day. In Jesus' day, many flocked to Jesus. Thousands pressed around him. They wanted to see him. They wanted to watch the show. But only few actually took hold of him. What about us? Are we going to just watch the show? Are we going to get to him at all costs? See, until we become like Ruth or like this woman in the Gospels, seeing ourselves as humble and poor, fearful and desperate, we'll never get to him. We'll never touch him. Because biblical faith only happens when we come to the end of ourselves, when we come to the end of our resources, when we come to the end of our strength, because faith in the Bible is desperation. And this is why Jesus said things like this, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep, right now, for you will laugh. In other words, what Jesus is saying is blessed are the desperate. What kind of desperation are you offering him? Get to him. Give him your desperation and the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. This morning, we have the communion table. This is for the poor, those who mourn, those who are hungry, those who are desperate. God, thank you for coming into the world and being a redeemer and looking at our chaos and our emptiness and our bankruptcy. And there you stand, Jesus, as our husband, as our kinsman redeemer. And you gave up everything, the price you paid to bring us home. And so right now we come to you, Jesus as desperate people, thankful 